In all the many chapters of the Bible, perhaps none are more significant than Hebrews chapter 10. And today on Daily in Christ, you'll find out why. Hello once again, I'm Mark Van Oos and I'm glad to join you here for Daily in Christ. This is a weekly podcast where we dig into God's precious word together. And the scripture is that which testifies of a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, we are in the midst of an extensive series in the book of Hebrews called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. And today, we are in Hebrews chapter 10 as I begin the program, one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Before we get into Hebrews chapter 10, I'd like us to look at the scene of Jesus' crucifixion. He has been suffering now for hours, both in terms of the torture that he underwent before being nailed to the cross and the hours that he spent upon the cross at Calvary. And now we're winding down to the point where he is about to die. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, we read this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That's John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. What was it that Jesus said there in his last breath upon the cross when he said, it is finished? Well, in the English, that's three words, but in the Greek, which he spoke from the cross, he actually said, tetelestai. And this word, tetelestai, is an amazing word. I'd like to share with you something um, from Ray Pritchard, as he gives some uh, insight into this word tetelestai, he says, Tetelestai comes from the Greek word teleo, which means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. It's a crucial word because it signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. It's the word you would use when you climb to the peak of Mount Everest. It's the word you would use when you turn in the final copy of your dissertation. It's the word you would use when you make the final payment on your new car. It's the word you would use when you cross the finish line of your first 10K run. The word means more than just, I survived. It means I did exactly what I set out to do. But there's more here than the verb itself. Tetelestai is in the perfect tense in the Greek. That's significant because the perfect tense speaks of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present. It's different from the past tense, which looks back to an event and says, this happened. The perfect tense adds the idea that this happened and it is still in effect today. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant It was finished in the past, it is still finished in the present, and it will remain finished in the future. Note one other fact. He did not say, I am finished, for that would imply that he died defeated and exhausted. Rather, he cried out, it is finished. 
meaning I successfully completed the work I came to do. To tell us die, then, is the Savior's final cry of victory. When he died, he left no unfinished business behind. When he said, it is finished, he was speaking the truth. Why am I bringing us over to this particular passage, and particularly this word, to telestai? Because throughout the book of Hebrews, point upon point upon point, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in his perfect life, his perfect obedience to the Father, his perfect sacrifice and death, at every single point, it's as if there was a divine, righteous checklist of all that needed to be fulfilled and could only be fulfilled by the perfect man, the perfect God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so throughout his entire life, from the moment of conception, all the way through the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, point by point, everything was accomplished. Check, 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 check. Till at last, as it says here in John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then we see there in verse 30, he says, it is finished to telestai. And we just found out that that powerful word is a Greek verb in the perfect tense, meaning done completely forever. You know, this is powerful truth that God wants us to know. Truth, as Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But it's the devil who wants us to believe that somehow it is not finished. Uh, That we don't really have what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done so much to give us. Worse yet, the devil will often think that not only is it not done, not finished, but that we have to do it. The old covenant law says do. The new covenant grace says done. And so John chapter 19, verse 30, and that to tell us that it is finished of the Lord Jesus Christ kisses Hebrews chapter 10. And this is powerful truth for us to understand how the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed accomplish all. As we go to the word right now, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we recognize that this is the most powerful truth of all, the perfection of your love done perfectly and completely accomplished perfectly by your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for the gracious word of the Bible, the scripture. Now, Father, I pray that as we dig into your holy word, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired the writer of Hebrews with these words, I pray that you will take words upon the page and enlighten them by your Holy Spirit, that we may know you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he's accomplished for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn, if you would, in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to take the first few verses and examine them. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image, true form of the things, 
can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Now, from these first few verses of Hebrews chapter 10, we uncover a powerful key principle. It's important to listen carefully and understand what the principle is there in the first four verses of Hebrews 10. First of all, what is needed, what is needed by us to make those who approach perfect. You see that there in verse 1 at the end? It says that those sacrifices under the covenant of law with the blood of bulls and goats, which they offered constantly, endlessly, continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. The idea of perfect here in the Bible and really all throughout the book of Hebrews is this idea of being complete, lacking nothing, having absolutely everything that we could possibly need for life, godliness, and holiness. And the second thing that we see is in verse 2 that, that it, when you have a perfect purification, it leads to no more consciousness of sins. It says there in verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. So you have an imperfect sacrifice that never gets it done, and it has to be repeated over and over and over again. And all that is is a constant reminder of sin and falling short. But with a perfect sacrifice... The opposite is true. It does not ever need to be repeated again. Why? How can you improve perfect? And so in that perfection of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished, we are purified and we have no more consciousness of sins. Another thing that comes up right there in verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices. Now, here we see again this language of shadow. You know, when you think of a shadow, it really gives us nothing. If I was hungry, and I happened to be in an apple orchard, and it was full of luscious juicy apples, I would have a lot there to satiate my hunger. But if I were to start grabbing at the shadows on the ground, it's not going to help me very much. A shadow is a mere dim outline of the reality. Shadows give us nothing. And so with the law, which was a shadow of the perfect to come, it gave us nothing. And so it had to be endlessly repeated. On the other hand, we have the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of verse, or right in the middle of verse 1, it says, and not the very image of these things, or the substance, or the reality of these things. The reality to which the shadow points is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect finished work, and it gives us everything perfectly and it never needs to be repeated again. And so the result of this, we see if we go down to uh, verse 
Let's see. 22 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, We can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. It reminds me again of what's over in um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and it bears repeating again. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's because we have this perfect high priest and his perfect finished work. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. So the result of perfection of the reality of Christ is that we're clean, we're purified forever, and we can confidently and boldly come to the infinite, uh, wonderful, intimate presence of God the Father. The law was a shadow, only a shadow of the good things to come. Uh, It says in the NIV in verse 1, not the realities And it says also in the NIV in verse 1, part C, the sacrifices were offered endlessly, constantly, continually, and it could never, the law could never make those who approach perfect, complete, and the worshipers, verse 2, were not purified. And as I said, under the law, because of that imperfect cleansing, and really under the law, the, the blood that was shed was not the blood of the priest or the high priest Jesus, but the blood of bulls and goats. It could only cover sin. It was temporary, not the complete remission, as we were studying last time in Hebrews chapter 9, of sins. And so the result is a sin consciousness. You know, that's a major problem right there, sin consciousness, that I see in the body of Christ, and I, I, I see it in my own life as well. And that is this constant thinking that uh, we need some sort of additional sacrifice. We constantly think, I'm still not right with God. I have to do this or I have to stop doing this. And with that kind of mentality, when we fail to understand the incredible perfection the infinite perfection and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we fail to grasp that, to rest upon that by faith, what happens is we end up focused on ourselves. And what do we see in ourselves? Compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, constant failure. How many of you can measure up to him? None of you can. None of us And so there is a constant sin consciousness. This is a problem in the church today. We see message after message, which is essentially about how to do things better. It's how-to Christianity, which I believe is an extension of the modern self-help movement outside of the church. When the Bible brings the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the totality, the perfection, the one who completed all, And the result 
frequently with preaching today in the church is that when you get to the end of the message under the so-called application part, that's the part that basically says, well, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. You need to think really hard about stop doing the bad things and start doing the right things. Now, don't get me wrong. Righteous and holy living is important, but we that is not the center of the universe. The center of the universe is God himself. And the perfect one is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he is removed from the center, as is so often the case in contemporary Christianity, where we're more focused and centered on the Christian than on Christ, the problem is sin consciousness all of the time. It's very important to understand this. The way we get free from sin consciousness and also remember what was said over in Hebrews chapter 9 when it talks about cleansing from dead works. Remember we said that dead works were those which we do on our own without Christ? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And why was it the case under law that there was this constant, endless activity and sacrifice and sacrifice and reminder of sins? Verse 4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. That's the key right there. The blood of bulls and goats was a very temporary order. And as we'll find out later in Hebrews chapter 10, God was not even pleased with that. He did not desire that. He had something much better. And that something much better is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the reality that is spoken of there in um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, not the very image of the thing, or as the NIV says, the reality of the thing. The new covenant is about the reality, not the shadow, but the reality, the substance, the totality found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect and complete and yes, finished work to tell us die. And because of the Lord's perfection, what we find out through verses 1 through 4, if you sort of state it inversely, uh, it's stated negatively right here uh, that under the law covenant um, that uh, none were uh, could be made perfect, yet under the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made perfect. And then in verse 2, under the reality of Christ, it says that uh, for when then would they not have ceased to be offered the sacrifices? So the sacrifices have ceased to be offered because there has been one perfect, infinite sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news of the new covenant is no more conscious, consciousness of sin. There's no need for a further sacrifice. There's no need to be thinking I do this wrong, I do this wrong, I'm falling short here, falling short here, God is displeased with me. No, under the reality and totality of Christ, we say, I am right with God forever because of Christ's perfect 
one-time sacrifice. Oh, this is so good. It's the key to the victorious Christian life. No more reminder of sins, as it says in Psalms, uh, that we've been separated from our sins as far as the east is from the west. It also, because of the reality of Christ and his perfection and perfect finished work, we are purified. We can approach God as a worshiper who is forever purified and forever clean. And verse 4, because of the perfection of Christ and his sacrifice, our sins are taken away. Not a mere covering like was given under the old covenant, but a complete removal and bearing away of the sins. And it's all because Christ himself died offered his own body, his own life, and shed his own precious blood. We really need to take a moment here and just stop and let the reality of this, the the good news of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, really soak into our minds and our hearts. You know, I am reminded of something that the Puritan uh, Edward Griffin had written uh, centuries ago. He was a Puritan, and I read the book called Salvation Taken into God's Own Hands. Salvation Taken into God's Own Hands. That's powerful. I don't know about you, but I eventually will mess things up. Why? I'm not perfect. But God is perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. People are worried about whether they can lose their salvation. People ask me, do you, you know, do you think a Christian can lose their salvation? I said, absolutely. There is a 100% guarantee that they will lose their salvation. But aren't you glad that salvation is taken into the hands of God? It is not mine to lose but his to keep. The question is, is the power of my messing things up greater than the power of God to keep me? Of course not. That brings into our Christian life a settledness, a rest that is so very, very important. Okay, let's move on to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. It says this, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. <laughs> I told you, Hebrews chapter 10 is so rich. It's so powerful. It's so life-freeing. Let's just walk through this. First of all, it says that uh, in verse 8, there were offerings that were made according to the law. Now, let's, let's talk about, on the one hand, God's desire versus God's 
requirements. Something is desired versus something is required. What did God desire? Well, in verse 5, the Lord Jesus says, a body you have prepared for me. So, first of all, there needed to be the sacrifice of a human being, willingly, not compelled, but willingly offering himself. Because in verse 9, he says, I, Jesus says, I have come to do your will, O God. God needed the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, without his humanity, there could have been absolutely no salvation. Why? Because sin and everything wrong in the world came through a man named Adam. It was his disobedience, his sin, that led to a catastrophic fall from God that led to the disaster of sin and death and condemnation proliferating throughout the entire human race. A human being messed things up. It required a human being to set things right. This is what is known as the incarnation, God in the flesh. And I uh, get into more of this if you stop by our ministry website at dailyinchrist.org. And uh, there is a series called The Incarnation, The Greatest Thing That Ever Happened to You. It's a two-part series, powerful stuff about why God had to become man. And so that body was so important. Without the flesh and blood, without a man walking it all out in obedience all the way to the cross, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, even death upon the cross, there would be no salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ did it of his own choice. He said, uh, remember what he said uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. It was hard. It hurt. The prospect of not only the physical suffering, but the separation from God the Father because of sin, my sin upon him was overwhelming. And yet he settled willingly upon the will of the Father. Now, the, under the old covenant, there were requirements There are offerings and sacrifices that were required by the law, but God did not, look at verses 5 and 8, it says that God did not desire sacrifice and offering according to the law. That might have been the requirement, but that was not the desire of God. Why? It was a temporary thing. God didn't mean for our relationship with him to be mended temporarily, but permanently, eternally, forever. As big, as infinite as his heart is toward us. And then in verse 9, it says this, He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now, the first refers to the covenant of law. And it says right here, point blank, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9, he takes away that first covenant, the law covenant. Why was that covenant taken away? Because it says, so he may establish the second. As long as there was that first covenant there, the second, the covenant of grace, the new covenant, could not be established. Now, 
The Greek word for establish is histemi, and it literally means to cause to stand. As long as that first covenant was there and in the way, he could not establish the second. So Jesus takes away the first so that he may cause to stand the second, the new covenant. And the second, the new covenant, as I said, could not stand without, and and it wasn't just Jesus taking it away. He fulfilled all. Remember, he accomplished all. It is finished to Talistai. Everything completed point by point. Check, check, check. On every point, Jesus did it all perfectly in the perfection of his person, in the perfection of his perfect finished work. Till finally, at the cross, John 19.30, he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. All is accomplished. You see, Jesus removes the first by fulfilling it completely, doing what none of us could possibly do. And grace, it's important to understand that grace in the new covenant could not stand as long as the law was in place. And that's exactly what the message of Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4 is. Here's Romans chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That's powerful stuff. The whole reason why Jesus did all this and, and why we the law is no longer necessary is because we're brought into a love relationship with Jesus, married to him, in covenant with him, so that we can bear fruit to God. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What does it mean by that will? What will is it talking about? It's Jesus saying, Father, I will do it. I will get it done. This is the heart of the new covenant. It's not your I will, I will do, but it's God's finished I will. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, the perfect man coming and saying, Father, I will do it and I will get it done according to your will. By that will, we have been sanctified. Now, what does sanctified mean? Sanctified means set apart, made holy, sanctified. That's what it literally means. It means to be set apart from the common and the ordinary and the profane. So it's a separation from and a separation to God himself. Now, here's something interesting, and we're going to dig into the grammar of the word sanctified. It's extremely important to understand because much of the church is infected with a wrong teaching, an erroneous teaching on the subject of sanctification. And what is frequently taught is that sanctification is something that somehow we do. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible clearly and in many places teaches that sanctification is something that we don't do. It is something that God does to us. And here, 
we see in Hebrews chapter 10, by that will, we have been sanctified. Now, remember your basic sentence grammar? A good sentence has a subject and a verb and an object. The subject performs the action, the verb, on the object, okay? In this sentence, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Who is the subject? God. God is the one who has done it. What's the verb? Sanctified. And the object of God's action of sanctification is us. Now, in the Greek language, the verbs, uh, you can parse these verbs and the, the Greek word for sanctified here in this context is in the passive voice. And you have the active voice, which is an action that I do. I'm the one who's the actor. And then there is the passive voice. And the passive voice is the one where the action is received. It is something sanctified in the Greek passive voice means that God has done this to us. He has sanctified us. We have not sanctified ourselves. Another aspect of this Greek verb in the tensing, the parsing of it, is that it is in the Greek perfect tense. And we talked about this earlier with the Greek word talistai being in the perfect tense. Remember, it describes an action, a verb in the perfect tense describes an action which is viewed as having been completed, completed in the past once and for all time, not needing to be repeated. That is very emphatic. So when it says there in Hebrews chapter 10, by that will, the will of Jesus, Jesus saying, Father, I have come to do your will. We have been sanctified. That is in the passive tense action done by God to us, where we have been set apart and made holy in the perfect tense, meaning it is done perfectly completed once for all time. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This absolutely blows apart, dynamites, nuclear bombs, the wrong unbiblical concept that somehow sanctification is a process. Wrong. That completely upends the truth that's been built line upon line upon line throughout the book of Hebrews and reaches its crescendo here in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, through the offering of the body of Christ, we have been sanctified once and for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says this, Of God are you in Christ, who has been made unto us wisdom from God, and sanctification, and righteous wisdom, and righteousness, and redemption, that as it is written, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. We find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that sanctification is not a crisis, as one group of Christians believes. It is not a process, as a lot of other Christians believe. The Bible teaches us that sanctification is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians one thirty says that God has made him, 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 Christ the Lord, to be sanctification. That also hooks up to the truth in the Old Testament. 
the Jehovah names of God. And the name Jehovah Mekedesh literally means, God is saying, I am sanctification. Do you see where the biblical truth of sanctification blows apart what religion teaches us that it is a crisis or it is a process? No, sanctification is a person. And it's the action of that person, the Lord Jesus Christ, done to us. We are holy, not because we don't sin. We are holy, not because we clean up our act. We are holy, not because we go to church. We are holy, not because we read the Bible. We are holy, not because we give or we pray or whatever you do. You are holy, saint, which means most holy one, child of God, because of what God did to you. He sanctified you. Hebrews 10.10, by that will, Jesus saying, Father, I have come to do your will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, law tells us do. Grace says done. And it says here in this verse, once and and for all. That's one Greek word, and it means literally once for all time. Again, I circle back to where we started with in this podcast, and there was a reason why I did this. John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus on the cross, and the very last thing he said was, Tetelestai, all is accomplished. It's in the perfect tense, meaning all accomplished, one time perfectly, forever, with results that never, ever end. We have been cleansed. We've been purified. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time because of Christ's I will and because of the once for all offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And who gets the glory for all of this? Not you, but God himself, where it belongs. God is the one who is holy. God is the one who makes us holy. Not through a process, but through the finished work of a person called the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the glorious reality of Jesus. And Father, I must say that there is so much I need to learn about this. Father, I have a pretty good familiarity of what the scripture teaches, but Lord, my mind alone is way too small to comprehend and grasp and trace the vastness of you and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Father, take this word that we have dug into, that we have studied. And Father, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, just like light illuminates everything in a dark room, Father, would you, by the Spirit, and this is according to your will, and therefore we have which we have asked, would you, by the Holy Spirit, now bring full illumination and revelation of Jesus Christ, his perfect finished work, and how we stand before you clean, purified, without sin, and holy, righteous, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.